Hello everyone, thank you for coming back to join us on the Bubble Podcast. We're going to be doing another episode of Desert Island Discs and I am joined here by Mr Whiting and I'm going to start off by just asking you about your life before you came to Benedin. Gosh, well my life um, before I came to Benenden was frighteningly similar for a few years to what it, it became at Benenden in that I worked for uh, at St Mary's Carn, which is, a, as some of you may know, is a boarding school in Wiltshire. And I remember turning up on my first day at Benenden thinking I, I'd changed jobs, but actually when I saw that the uniform was identical, um, I realised <laughs> I hadn't changed very much at all, um, except there were fewer students there. And um, so, yeah, I was there for, I think, five years um, before I was at St Mary's, um, I was really just working as a musician, as a conductor, as an organist, as a pianist, which is what I did straight after university. Um, but I think, if, if I can think back to why I went into to teaching and to working in schools, I have a feeling it was something to do with getting engaged. And I just, something in me was thinking, yeah, I don't actually have a job. Um, I was sort of going around playing the organ and playing the piano and quite enjoying myself and um, enjoying that sort of lifestyle in your 20s. Um, and then I got engaged uh, to my wife and I thought I'd better get something of a steady job. And fortunately, uh, it worked out at St Mary's and then I was lucky enough to get the job at Benenden. So that's nice. a brief Did background. you do um, like music teaching beforehand? Did you teach the piano and stuff? Um, um, I did do some piano and organ teaching, but St Mary's was the first time I did any classroom teaching. Um, yeah. Wow, we really went straight into it, didn't you? <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to ask about your first track, which is Live Forever by Oasis. And I was just wondering why you chose this. I felt I had to have some Oasis in. Um, I know some of your contributors will talk about memories and musical memories. Um, I have to say, Oasis, uh, love them or hate them, um, and some people loathe them <laughs> or <laughs> loathe the characters involved. Um, I don't know, it takes me straight back to my teenage years. Um, and I was in a band and we used to play and try and imitate Oasis pretty badly. Um, I think there is only one Oasis, but I, I haven't been to loads and loads of gigs, but I have seen Oasis three times, and I am one of these tragic people who probably would go and see them if they reformed as ageing rockers. Um, how to choose a track? I, I just um, I could have chosen tracks from any one of what, the six or seven albums, I think, but I think um, Live Forever sort of encapsulates the sort of raw... Um, emotion of um of oasis when they're just starting out i think a lot of bands were their best on their first album before any kind of fame or pressure or money has influenced them so yeah is forever. there any evidence of you playing in this band yeah my mum's got some photos which, no um, <laughs> oh my which gosh occasionally i sort of see and i think why does that still exist uh but uh yeah it wasn't great actually i think there's a, still a keyboard under my bed i was doing a bit of keyboard and backing singer so it really wasn't the coolest role in the band <laughs> But then I sort of stopped. We sort of all got towards A-levels and then, you know what, I think we're not actually going to make it for doing <laughs> bad covers of Oasis. I think we probably ought to do some work. So it's kind of stopped, a bit sad. Aww. Well, moving on to your second track, which is Tarot, is that how you say it? By... Tarot by Alt-J. I was not yeah. expecting you to pick an, an Alt-J. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the, this is a really quite weird one um, in that it was only in my second or third year at Benenden and I got a call from someone I know who lives very close, said, can you play the recorder? Um, and I said, yeah, I mean, I used to play a recorder um, and yeah, I thought I can still remember how to play the recorder. It's just that there's this band recording down the road and they want three recorders to play with them tonight. Um, and I said, yeah, fine, I'll come along. And that band was Alt-J. No way! Yeah, and they were recording in a... Basically, their producer, uh, his family home is just outside Benenden, the guy that they've worked with for years. And they were finishing off uh, their second album in a barn down the lane from here. 
um, I realised on my way there that they were actually quite a famous band because they'd won the Mercury Prize um, a couple of years before. Yeah, they're huge. And and I sort of listened to Breeze Blocks and a couple of other songs from their first album, and this song's from their first album too. Um, and yeah, I sort of turned up and realised, uh, yeah, they're actually proper a proper band. Um, and they what they wanted in the middle of this second album was a um, they'd written this trio for three recorders. It's the most bizarre thing. If you go on. Um, <laughs> Is it, I think the album's called This Is All Yours. And there's something called Garden of England in the middle of the album, which is me and two friends playing the recorder with birdsong. And it's just their way of having an interval in the middle of the album. That was quite fun. But actually the most fun bit was just as we finished recording. This is quite late at night. You know, bands sort of get up at about two in the afternoon, if then. And we were recording till sort of 11 or midnight. Mm. And they said, actually, we've got this other track. Um can you sort of just play this tune? And they sang this tune to us and said, and so we played along. Um, and so we did that for about 20 minutes, the sort of instrumental part of it. And it turned out that that was the second single off the album, which is actually was better news for me because I made no royalties at all out of the Garden of England. And I got a fee on the day. But ever since then, I've been getting royalties four times a year for this. Um, no yeah, way! For this, um, it's, what's it called? I can't, um, it's the second track on... It was the second single off This Is All Yours anyway. Um, so that was really fun. That's crazy. Mm. Oh, my gosh. She kept that one quiet. Well, That's it's not a lot of money. So but it's, cool. it's, it's really fun when it trickles in when I remember that. And then the weird thing was that we took a choir to New York uh, a couple of years after that. And they happened to be playing at Madison Square Garden. And one of the girls in the choir, her dad, had a box at Madison Square Garden and said... Um, would you like to go and see it? And it was, yeah. So there's, there was about 35 of us in Madison Square Garden watching Alt-J. No um, way. Unfortunately, they didn't seem to want me to go on stage and play the recorder part. No, but, um, that's quite offensive, Anyway, actually. so, I mean, you know, I, I, I really like their music. Um, and I took, chose this from the first album. But I think the third album was brilliant. And I got a fourth one coming out. But unfortunately, they haven't called me back. So... I need to have a word, see if I can offer yeah, something. Yeah, have, have you still got their contact details? Oh, yeah. Well, I see the producer occasionally because I, I kind of know him. Oh, my um, gosh. I keep dropping hints and say, surely <laughs> you'd like um, to pop into Benenden and record the orchestra or record the choir, and um, he nods. Oh, my gosh, they could be our guest speakers or something. Couldn't they? I think they, they, they operate on a pretty high level. I mean, they go on tour to America for, you know, sort of six months at a time. They're pretty big. Yeah, but this is Benedict. Come on, they can come in for us. They could. Do, <laughs> um, okay, so the third track that you've chosen is called "Our Mutual Friend" by the Divine Comedy. Yeah, the Divine Comedy again takes me back to teenage years. I just they had a song um, which was basically she said there's something in the woodshed. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's on their first their third album, which is called Casanova. And the lead singer, Neil Hannon, is just one of the most gifted songwriters in terms of witty words and beautiful melodies. Um, but he also uses amazing musicians um, uh, and the arrangements for orchestra that he puts with his pop songs always give me a chill. And th- this one in particular, um, it's, it's quite witty lyrics um, about mutual friendships and when it goes a bit wrong. And uh, I think there's some alcohol involved somewhere along the line. Um, <laughs> And then, but the string arrangement and the sort of orchestral part behind it, I just love. But again, they've they've done about eight or nine albums. I could choose an al- album, a song from any of them. Um, and I'd recommend that people listen to their best stuff on, on Spotify because it is really good. Nice. Okay. The fifth one is, oh no, I skipped one. The fourth no, no, track four, yeah, fourth one, yeah. is called, I don't know how to say that. Kyrie. Kyrie. Yeah. So the James Taylor Quartet is something that I kind of knew about for a while. Um, they're sort of jazz funk 
group, but I'd occasionally heard it. And if you again, if you go on Spotify, listen to their versions of Starsky and Hutch and various other tracks, they, they always put me in a good mood um, on a Friday night. Um, but um, suddenly on Radio 3, um, about four or five years ago, um, they, they were, this jazz funk thing, but with a choir singing in this Kyrie. And I thought, well, this is the, this is the fun part of music, which I really love. And they're singing this uh, quite serious choral thing on top of it. And I thought, well, that's brilliant. And it seemed to be for upper voices. So I just randomly emailed the website, um, got in touch with the website. And James Taylor himself got in touch straight away and said, well, here's the music. And we'd love to work with you in the future. Um, we're looking for other choirs. So ever since then, we've kept up a bit of a dialogue. And he's writing a piece at the moment, which hopefully we'll do here with jazz band and with the choir. And it's just, and he lives down the road. And he's a real geezer. And he, 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 I never know whether he's going to start on his sports car or his battered transit van, which he travels around with his kit or his, his Harley Davidson motorbike. And he's, he's just really fun. But his life has been jazz and pop and funk. And they've got a really big presence at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club and, and things like that. But I, he's obsessed with Bach and serious classical things as well. And I just love the fact that you can bring these two musical worlds or several musical worlds together as a sort of fusion and I'm quite this this is a forward-looking thing really for me but I just think I just quite like their stuff actually mentioning Bach one of yours is the organ sonata number four I feel like you're always going to choose Bach or a, a, like a Mozart or like someone like that yeah I mean the the difficulty is I'm sure everyone says that you know I'm I'm horrified there's no I can no, I can live without Mozart to be honest <laughs> uh with the pop stuff I I love Keen. I've always loved Keen, and the, the the lead singer I think is incredible. The fact that he he also lives down the road, and I'm desperately trying to get Keen to come and perform in Benden because they they live so close. Mm. Um, the things that you've missed out, I couldn't not have Bach um, because I do think he is probably the greatest composer of all. This piece that I've chosen, um, which is a slow piece, is actually an organ piece, but it's played here on the piano, and I, for me it just shows that even though he was writing it um, over 300 years ago it's got all the emotion of anything contemporary, whether it's pop or classical or from musical theatre. I just think he could have written music in any age and it would tug at the heartstrings. Um, and this one, this really slow piece, I think works really well. Nice. And the next one is Danzon number two. Don't we play that in orchestra? Yeah, we yeah. do. With a star trumpet roll for you. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And I want to include that. I think it's great fun in terms of orchestral pieces. There are definitely orchestral pieces which are dull, but this is the opposite of it, of, of dull. Um, it was performed by a Venezuelan orchestra, first of all. It came to attention. It's a Mexican composer made famous by a Venezuelan orchestra, and they came from an amazing project where they, they put money or they got investment for all these uh, young Venezuelans to play, and they just brought such joy to it. You could see this was the most amazing opportunity. And when they played at the proms, they sort of stripped off their sort of black and white traditional things, revealing the Venezuelan blue, yellow and red uh, sort of tracksuits underneath. That's and it was so cool. The classical co uh, concert goers are going, what on earth is this? <laughs> but then they hear this piece, and I just think it's ir got irresistible energy. We've done it once before with the symphony orchestra here, and it was, yeah, one of the most exciting things I've ever done with, with, with a school group. And so the fact is, and you know this, Zoe, because we're learning it, Yeah. Um, I can't think of a better piece with which to launch our new hall and my plan is again this is looking ahead is that we play this and it goes brilliantly and your trumpet solo is a triumph oh, yeah. and it's gonna people be amazing. rise to the occasion and love it <laughs> so the penultimate piece 
It's French. Yeah. I don't speak French, <laughs> so I think you should say the name of this. This is the Prelude et Fugue sur le nom d'Alain. And it's by a French composer called Maurice Duraflay. Now, I think, again, I can live without a lot of organ music, but this has always been my favourite piece. It's hard, and I have told myself I will learn it. Um, and I thought that's why I might sort of name and shame myself by saying that you like this piece, why not learn it? It is hard. Um, but there's various nice things about it. Alain was a composer who sadly died, I think, in the First World War. Um, and Duraflay basically took the letters of his name, turned it into musical code and write a, wrote a piece based on the letters of his friend's name. Um, so it's quite emotional. Um, and I think this is, I just think it's a great, great piece. And it, for me, it just speaks of Paris and I love Paris and Paris's music. And it's played uh, in this recording by a um, female organist. There aren't nearly enough um, female organists. I'm afraid it's a sort of dominated by um, old white men kind of brigade. And we need to do something about that. But Francesca Massey is the most amazing player. Um, I'm hoping to bring her to Benenden at some point, And she plays this really, really well. Oh, lovely. And the last one is the Symphony Number no. 3. I didn't write down who it's by. So it I is by die. Beethoven. And again, ah. I think after Bach, Beethoven is probably the guy um, who I think is just at the heart of so much music um, and is inspiring. You could choose so much Beethoven. But for me, the this first movement of the Eroica Symphony, um, which again has got fascinating history if you like comparing your music with your with your history he dedicated it to dedicated it to napoleon at a time when he thought that napoleon was going to be a great emperor of europe um and what a promising thing that would be and then, funnily enough napoleon went a bit off the rails i don't know huge amounts of my napoleon history but i do know that he eventually got regarded as a bit of a tyrant and a dictator and he wasn't so well regarded and so on the manuscript beethoven went back to it and just crossed out the word napoleon and sort of basically said this is for all of europe Oh, um, wow. what the Brexiteers would think of that I don't know but it's, a really, it's got irresistible energy it's fun um, in, a, in a classical way and yeah it's, it's brilliantly played here oh well thank you for telling us about your eight tracks you can take them to your desert island thank you. so you also get the complete works of Shakespeare the bible I don't know if you're particularly religious but you can have that too and you get to pick one more book and I don't know whether you've considered this I have. I stared at my bookshelf last night and thought, what jumps out? And I think what I would take is a book called Scoop by Evelyn Waugh. Evelyn Waugh, I'm not sure, I like with a lot of great artists and writers, I'm not sure he was the nicest guy. But I have to say his, his writing always makes me laugh and takes me to a sort of bygone era of uh, country houses, which I just I, I kind of like being transported there. A lot of champagne drinking. Um, but Scoop's really fun. It's basically someone who accidentally be becomes a journalist in a foreign country and all sorts of things go wrong, but written in a very classy way. And you mentioned sort of, you know, musical memories. A lot of people sort of place their music with memories. I, I remember re reading this on Honeymoon, and I don't normally remember where I read books, but I do remember sitting on a beach reading this book and chuckling. And so, uh, and I've reread it several times, and uh, I think it's great. There's a lot of Elaine Warriors. Oh, lovely. And... Um, you get to have one luxury item. Have you thought about what this could be? Yeah, this is really, really difficult, isn't it? I started down the lines of, um, is there some kind of tennis machine that you can have a racket? At? Or, I mean, really, you need, or you need a wall. 
I don't know. I saw a video of Roger Federer practicing against a wall recently. I thought maybe that's how he's become so good. I, I absolutely love tennis. I, I, I would play tennis all day, every day if I could. But one thing that really annoys me is that I'm not very consistent. And I just thought if I was on a desert island with some kind of machine or wall where I could learn consistency, then I'd be laughing and I'd come back if I ever get rescued and yeah. I would be consistent rather than doing the occasional good forehand. I think I need to, I'm not sure how realistic that is. So to be honest, I think I'd retreat to piano. And I oh, think really? if I had a grand piano on a desert island and maybe a book of music, maybe some bark or something, I actually would do the practice that I probably should do on a daily basis <laughs> <laughs> um, and lead by example. So when I come back, I, I know a few more pieces. But um, yeah, whichever you can give me, Zoe, really would be. OK, well, you can take the piano because I'm not sure about the whole tennis thing. It doesn't really exist, does it? Yeah, no. I'm not sure about that. Tell someone else to play tennis with would be great, but I think that's probably going to break in the rules. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us for the Desert Island Discs episode. And hopefully everyone will tune in next time, whenever that may be.